today is from Philippians, the first chapter, verses 3 through 11. I thank my God every time I mention you in my prayers. I am thankful for you every time I pray, and it's always a prayer filled with joy. I am glad because of the way you have been my partner in the ministry of the gospel from the time you first believed until now. And I am sure about this. The one who started a good work in you will stay with you to complete the job by the day of, G of Christ Jesus. I have good reason to think, this is, to think this way about you because I keep you in my heart. You are all my partners in God's grace both during my time in prison and in the defense and support of the gospel. God is my witness that I feel affection for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love might become even more and more rich with knowledge and all kinds of insight. I pray this so that you will be able to decide what really matters and so you will be sincere and blameless on the day of Christ. I pray that you will be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ in order to give glory and praise to God. This is the word of the Lord. Today's the second Sunday in Advent. It is the Sunday of peace. It is the Sunday of John the Baptist, John who calls Israel to prepare for the Messiah, to prepare for peace by preaching to them a baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sins. And if I'm going to really be honest with you, even on this second Sunday in Advent, I'm already tired of the Advent texts. I know John the Baptizer is an important part of this story. But we've been here before. I know it's important to prepare as we get ready for Christmas. I understand that. But I'm tired of cranky old John. And besides, how many more sermons can I preach on John the Baptist? I mean, I've done this for more than 30 years. So this week I said, okay, we'll do something different. So I started reading the texts, and I came to the epistle lesson, and I realized I've never preached this text for Advent. Mm-hmm, that's a good sign. So I looked at Paul's words to the Philippians, and the words jumped off the page. This is my prayer, that your love might become more and more rich with knowledge and all kinds of insight. I pray this so that you will be able to decide what really matters and so you will be sincere and blameless on the day of Christ. And so it struck me how three things tie together here. Peace, repentance, and love. Love that abounds in knowledge and insight. Now, that's an Advent message we can get behind. Right? Who doesn't want to talk about peace and love? So while I really want to focus on Philippians, I also recognize that in spite of what I've said, I can't leave John the baptizer behind. He too is a part of this story. And if we're really going to talk about peace and love, we also have to talk about John's vision of repentance. 
Now, I don't know if this is true or not, but my suspicion is that the vast majority of people, and I suspect this cuts across all race and all religion and all politics, the vast majority of people in the world really would like to find peace. And they want peace that's more than just the absence of war. They want real peace. Now, maybe they don't understand this idea of shalom, God's peace, that we get from the Scriptures. But they long for that kind of peace anyway. Peace that has in it justice. Peace that has in it a sharing of the world's resources. Peace that has in it love and joy and hope. In short, the peace that the people of Israel were looking for as they hoped for the coming Messiah. So how is it then that John the Baptist, who prepares the way for Jesus by his preaching, talks not about forming groups or parties that struggle for peace. He doesn't talk about starting a letter-writing campaign to leaders or leading demonstrations or having boycotts or even about relationships between nations and groups as the way of getting ready for peace. Instead, he starts off by talking about individuals getting right with God, by repenting, by showing to others the fruit of that repentance, and in the end, that allows us to begin to care for other people. If you look at the beginning of Luke's gospel here in this third chapter, but really if you look at almost any of the gospels, you'll ask the question at some point, what is it that the gospel's trying to tell us about this coming of the Messiah, this coming of Jesus? And John channels Isaiah in the middle of the text. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make the path straight, every valley shall be filled, every mountain will be leveled. It's John 40, right? The crooked will be made straight, humanity will see God's salvation. And, but of course, that's not the end of the message. Jesus was all about not just getting right with God, but understanding that if we get right with God, do we say repentance? That also allows us to get right with human beings. Because a right relationship with God and others, especially the poor and the underprivileged, is the place where we can really start talking about peace. What is the relationship between preparing the way for Christ, the Prince of Peace, in one's life and in the world and its implications in the gospel? What is the relationship between love that abounds in knowledge and depth of insight and the world in which Christ reigns so completely that not only is there a peace, but there's peace that becomes everlasting? See, I would argue that peace is perhaps the greatest social and political need the world has. And yet John and indeed Jesus himself never talks about peace in social terms, in political terms, not because those ideas were unheard of. They weren't. They knew all about Pax Romana, peace of Rome. It's that Jesus and John understood that peace, if it's really to come into existence, 
comes when there's a right relationship with God and a proper relationship with the rest of humanity. How does the old song go? Let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Yeah, that's where it starts. So I believe that if we prepare for the Prince of Peace, we can only make the path straight. We can only begin to help make those rough places smooth by announcing in our own lives, in our own personalities, in the way we choose to live, our commitment to the Prince of Peace. We have to make ourselves ready. And if we make ourselves ready, then perhaps the world can become ready for the reign of the one who is coming to be the great peacemaker. That's not easy in our world. It wasn't easy in the first century. It's not easy in the 21st century. How do followers of Christ seek peace? It is almost a given that when somebody stands up in front of a bunch of people, whether it's a sermon or whether it's something else, and says something about peace, you really expect me to say something about how we're going to deal with a world in turmoil. So you think I'm going to have something to say about what we do about terrorists. Or maybe you ask how we can find peace within our nation in the midst of the violence that we keep seeing week after week after week. You know, don't you, that the United States, of all the countries in the world, has the most serious problem with mass killings? Period. We have more than a third of them. And that's true for the last several, several years. Or maybe you want me to address our finding a way to find the equilibrium between good policing and what we see in some departments around the country, notably Chicago or Baltimore, where young black men seem to be killed by police on a fairly regular basis. And now those folks are being brought to justice themselves. All right, I hate to disappoint you, but I'm not going to talk about any of those things, not even tangentially. Because the truth is, not one of us can affect those things on the big scheme of, in the big scheme. That's not within our power. We certainly can't do it by ourselves. I'm not sure we can do it if we all band together and have exactly the same mind. In some ways, I'm not even sure those we've appointed over us can solve it either. But that doesn't mean we are hopeless or helpless in the midst of this. It does not mean that there is not something we can do. You remember the old phrase from missions to think globally but act locally? Well, you can do that with peace too. Just as John the Baptist is a messenger for peace by bringing this living word, preparing for Christ's coming by his teaching. So we are called to be messengers for peace. Not just preparing for the baby Jesus in the manger in a few weeks, but preparing for the peace of God in the world. God's call to us and to most others doesn't necessarily happen in a dramatic way. 
Even the Apostle Paul, who wrote the letter to Philippians, while he had what we all know is dramatic conversion experience, he knew all about Jesus before all that happened. Most of the time, what we know and what we are called to comes through our fellow human beings who call us to stand up and make a, take a stand and to make a difference. People who don't just dream dreams, but get involved in actions. I know you've heard it before, not only from me, but from hundreds of others. The infamous German philosopher Nietzsche, who says, I will believe in your Redeemer when I see and that you, you Christians, act as if you're redeemed. Make sense? How can, we, how can somebody believe in our Redeemer if we don't act like it? And that's the challenge that's laid before us. John lays it before Israel. I baptize you with water, but one greater than I is coming, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So how can we affect peace in our little part of the world? Well, we can begin with a peace that affects our own families, our church families, our immediate society in this place where we live. How do you change people? Y'all know the answer, don't you? There's only one person we can change. I can't change you. I can't make you what I want you to be. It is only with God's help that I can change me. And once again, that becomes the focus. You want to create peace? Then we start creating an atmosphere where we can live in peace. So you say, okay, Tom, how are you going to do that? Boy, I hate to do this, but I'm going to. It seems that me personally, I and Karen will attest to this, I cannot stop railing against the stupidity that I see in those currently running for office. Their obvious lies, they're seeking to divide and not unite, they're fear-mongering and all the rest. But it's not in my power to change. I can't make them stop that. But with God's help, and it'll take God's help, trust me, Maybe I can stop my anger and my outrage and my desire to slap some of them silly if they weren't silly enough already. Maybe that's the first step for me in finding some peace. What is it for you? I read this week about a community, and I think it's a great idea. I think it'd work in Kingsport. A community, a church in a community, that decided they didn't have the killings that have gone on with police against racial ethics. But what they decided they were going to do is that a church was going to seek the names of every single police officer, from the chief to the trainee, and they were going to pray for them every day. That's it. They were going to pray for them. They were going to pray for their safety, you bet. 
but they were going to pray that they might be safe and just in their dealings with the community. The police were thrilled. What if we did something like that? You think it might make for a channel for peace? We're pretty fortunate. We live in a community where we don't have a lot of that. But all of it can be improved. What do you need to do to create the more peaceful environment in your life? Do you need to give up screaming at the TV too? How do we as Christians begin to witness to this world that we are going to be about the peace of the babe who arrives in a couple of weeks? That's the challenge. And Paul believes that the church in Philippi is up to the challenge. And so he says, I pray that love will abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you will be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. What more could we ask for our own congregation? But Paul doesn't only say that to the Philippians. He says it to us. This is Scripture for us. And that's God's grace for us. God has prepared for us, has equipped us, if we are willing to take that equipping, that we can be begin to become those instruments for peace in our little piece of the world. I don't know how that will translate into the greater world, but it will translate if it's just one of those one little places of light in the midst of all the darkness, eventually it does make a difference. And so, my prayer for you today with the Apostle Paul is that your love may abound more and more in the knowledge and the depth of insight so that you may discern what is the best and be blameless on the day of Christ's coming. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.